0: So the only other the only other time that's really happened where I've
1: you flushed
0: either. was was when we got our first ultrasound on Ella.
1: No, not even that. It was like oh, hearing yeah. the heartbeat. Hearing
0: the heartbeat. They went. They put the and gel, put
1: this gel on my belly, and I wasn't even really showing.
0: And I went out. <laughs> really? <laughs> and she's like, "Oh come on!" I would have been like, "You are such a drama queen." <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> So this,
1: it's
2: all about you. It's all about it. This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into spiritual conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people. I'm inviting you into this conversation so together we might find expressions of hope in daily life. Guests on the show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I try to provide the guests freedom to talk and let them determine the direction of the conversation. I only ask you to listen, and to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better, and we live in a world desperate for ears. So let's begin today's show, A Really Bad Day at the Beach. Parenting is an awesome responsibility, one that most people take very seriously. Parents want to protect their children. They research how to be a good parent, they assess risk, and try to control their children's environment so it's safe. But life doesn't always cooperate with our desire to control. In the blink of an eye, freak accidents occur and all sense of control is lost. It can leave parents standing by helplessly as strangers tend to their wounded children, all the while saying to themselves, if only I had, as though parents can control freak occurrences. My guests today are Joel and Amy, two awesome, and I would say professionally trained parents. Joel is the executive director of Voyager's Lutheran Ministries, a camp in northern Minnesota. Amy is a former camp program director and a church youth group leader. They are the parents of 10-year-old Ella and 6-year-old Isaac. They are the kind of parents who invest time and attention into being the best possible parents they could be. However, this past August, life changed. In the blink of an eye, a freak accident occurred that left them standing by helplessly as strangers tended to their wounded child. So let's listen to them describe their really bad day at the beach.
1: So, in Duluth, we have Park Point, and it's a long stretch of sandy beach, and um, a very nice place to be anytime the sun is out. The... We were out there on a Wednesday evening and we were kind of having our final outdoor Wednesday night worship at our pastor's house who lives on Park Point.
0: Um, so we got there early, um, mm-hmm. about a half hour early, just to help get things set up. And there was it was threatening rain, so we were trying to figure out options. And, but there was that sense of urgency. And so you know, as we go through our normal everyday lives, there's some things that are just you take a breath and some things that you're always... Yeah, I got to do this. It's, there's an urgency to it, that, um, we're and and so there was a sense of we got to get there. We've got a friend of Ella's that's with us. We've got you know we're responsible for this. Did we grab this? Did we throw that in the car? Are we ready for rain? Um, all of those things that you think are really really important, and at the mm-hmm. moment they were.
1: So the kids ran to the to the beach out his back door. And over the dunes and the waves were huge, and it was awesome. And I said, "We are not going near the water because the waves are ginormous and you'll get sucked in." And so we're gonna stay right here and sit on this bench and
2: I mean, I'm just even sit there listening. The waves are big. Yeah. yeah. So here's a safe bench.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, away I mean, from the waves. Away from the waves.
2: I mean, yeah. all the, all issues of safety are not like. I mean, I've, I've been with so many parents that are like, "Oh, really? You know, playing with a machete is tough." <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, here you are, something going. Every little aspect of risk and, and danger is coming into your mind. Let's so assess
1: our <laughs> surroundings. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, the, part of that is just natural. Being a camp person, being mm-hmm. a youth person, right?
1: Yeah, we know all the stories. Um.
2: I was confused by what actually happened to Isaac until Joel showed me a picture. So I want to try to help you understand. In Duluth, Minnesota, on Park Point, people take dead driftwood trees. I mean really long trees and use them as poles to anchor hammocks. They bury the trees in the sand, usually deep enough to hold the weight of grown adults. It's a really common thing. So let's listen to Amy and Joel explain. So the poles were
1: holding a hammock and so the girls, and I didn't think of it, because there's driftwood poles on Park Point all
0: the time. The girls sat in the hammock.
1: Just um, sat. They weren't beach, playing. Public they weren't beach, jumping. hammock next
0: to a bench. They sat on the bench. The girls sat in the hammock. And the the tree
2: collapsed. So girls that probably weigh 45, 50 pounds. Yeah. I mean, nothing. Yeah, two 10-year-olds.
1: We were talking, and I looked up while it was falling And I remember screaming no, and I put my arm out to push Isaac. Like it was an instinctual, like you're Mm -hmm. stopping at a stop sign fast and you put your arm out in Mm -hmm. front of whoever's next to you. I didn't see the impact because I was trying to do, you know, push the log aside. Not that it would have mattered anyway because it was huge. And they, so they both rolled out of the way, um... And they weren't hurt, but one of one of them did see the impact. Oh, his um, friend. Yeah. yeah, saw it hit Isaac, and so she's pretty.
2: She's pretty upset. Yeah,
1: so. she's had a few hard,
0: hard, hard days,
1: hard nights.
0: And at first you know you hear your ten year old and her friend scream, and they're on the beach, and right. you kind of think, okay, they're playing on the beach, right. and then it was it was a it was a more urgent scream, um, and then. Quickly, she came. Uh, Ella and her friend came over the, over the dune, and Ella came up and said, "said uh, Isaac's hurt and his eye is bleeding." So I set stuff down and I said, "Stay here and I'll go see what's going on." And so I was halfway over the dune, and then Amy came over the dune with him in her arms. And then we got him on the deck, and at first you're looking at him, and he's he's a, a conscious. He's and, conscious, and he's yeah. he was crying, but and and hurt obviously, but not screaming. I mean, he wasn't He, was in, he wasn't in screaming pain. Looking at him Instant quick, I thought egg. he's going to have one heck of a goose egg right over his right eye, and um, and then it was bleeding, but, but almost more like a puncture. Mm-hmm. We get some ice, put the ice on, you know, you know, looking at his eyes and all those things that my camp director, first aid, CPR, EMT, wilderness stuff, you know, kind of, yeah. you know, the basics. Right. And then um, there's a
1: lot. His two front teeth. were His two front teeth me.
0: had not been pushed out. And uh, that's
1: what he was focused on, because there was. Isaac was is focused on. Yeah, it, yeah. The, he kept saying something's wrong with my teeth, mm-hmm. and there's a lot. A lot of blood in his mouth, so I don't I couldn't tell if he
0: had bit his tongue bit
1: his tongue or if this is coming from somewhere else.
2: Since Isaac is alert and conversational, Joel and Amy think it's nothing major. However, the amount of blood is starting to cause concern, so a decision is made to call an ambulance. Whenever you call an ambulance, all sense of time ceases. Five minutes can seem like an hour. However, on Park Point in Duluth, you have another feature to contend with, the drawbridge. An ambulance must cross the Duluth Harbor drawbridge to get to Park Point. If a barge is going underneath that bridge, it can delay an ambulance by 20 minutes or more. So, anxiety builds as they wait. To Joel and Amy's relief, the first responder on the ambulance, the first one off the ambulance is a friend, Ben. It makes them feel good, but they can also tell from Ben's response, things are a little more serious than they realize. So Amy rides in the ambulance and Joel follows in their car to the hospital. I should also note, Joel is not a stranger to handling significant trauma. In 2013, four of his staff members were involved in a car accident as they left camp for a weekend off. One staff member was killed and two others sustained life-threatening injuries. He was a wonderful manager of that trauma, but this is different. This is his own son, and Joel struggles to understand his role. Is it manager? Decision maker? Those kind of roles come natural. Wounded parent is something new. We pick the story back up with Joel entering the hospital.
0: And that I was still in my mind um, in charge. I was still an executive who could walk into that room and make a <laughs> an decision. Right, right, right. I just needed more information. Right. You know? And then the surgeon walked in. And at that point... It was, tell me what I need to know. Tell me what you need from us to make, you know, to help make decisions here. And
2: what's, what can we do? Yeah.
0: What's, <laughs> you know, what's my role on the team? Yeah. Then he proceeded to tell us what the CT showed, and then what they needed to do, and uh, the fact that they were going to do it. At that moment, I went from. I don't have enough information to make the decision here. To looking at the neurosurgeon and the trauma team, and basically saying, "Okay, go to work, go do what you need to do." Why are we standing here? And the neurosurgeon kept talking and telling us what he was going to do, and we and I kept saying, "Go do it, (laughs) go." Do it. That you don't need to explain this to us. We had signed the Go forms already. Go do it. Yeah. And this, this form came up. This is what I don't care. Go do uh-huh. it. And I'm also very good with my own blood. I'm also I'm, I'm pretty good with with uh, um, dealing with other people's.
1: You can put band aids. Hurt.
0: On. And I'm pretty good at comforting. But there's a few times. When I had just passed out. <laughs> and one time was this. And I didn't pass out, but I saw it coming. I felt it coming. I felt the sweat on the back of my neck. I felt my cold face. I felt this is coming, and I know what's going to happen. And as I was, as I was feeling that, the, the, the things that the neurosurgeon were saying were getting further away and quieter.
2: Oh. <laughs> and,
0: and then I felt an arm on my shoulder a hand on my shoulder that said, I think we need to get your feet higher than your head. And I said, I think you're right. <laughs> and so as he finished telling me, you know, and 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 helping me realize that I was not in charge, um, I was laying on the ER floor with my feet on a chair, listening to him tell me the rest of the things he's going to do to my son to make him better. And Amy is, of course, standing next to Isaac and, you know, trying collapsing. to keep the ice
1: pack on his head because no one else is. And Did you really?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And There's so-
1: a bump on his head.
2: <laughs> what little control Joel thinks he has finally gives way. Laying on his back on the floor he is now completely vulnerable. Joel is forced to trust strangers with the care of his child. We all cope differently with trauma. Joel coped by working with doctors to make decisions. Amy coped by never letting Isaac leave her sight. While it may have helped them feel better, Amy watching Isaac was as effective as Joel's decision making. Both parents are now helpless and the severity of the situation starts to hit home and it hits hard.
0: So he fractured his skull. That's you know what they said, right. the neurosurgeon. fractured his skull in several places on um, both his skull, but also his upper orbit and in his zygomatic arch and the on the eye, and then his uh, sinus plate. He starts explaining everything that what he needs to do to make that to fix that or to at least to explore that, fix it. And he was giving us worst case scenario physical worst case scenario. Um, you know, what you can expect when it comes out of surgery, um, depending on what we find, these are the different levels of, of what you can expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really, uh, that's one of the pieces I remember Amy really struggling with was what we're going to see when it comes out.
1: They're talking months and years. And, mm-hmm. um, I think the surgeon talking about the fracture was an indent. The, membrane around the brain itself was ruptured and there is brain damage you see that there's blood clot there's but he said we're going to go in we need to repair that membrane we're going to take the blood clot out we're going to repair we might need to take part of his skull out to let swelling happen and then we'd have to go back in on another date and put part of his skull back in And so then this wasn't even on the radar. So him, like, this man is going to look at my son's brain. And my son is six years old.
0: And potentially leave that brain exposed for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's That's a big leap from, that's one hell of a goose egg.
2: I want to take a minute and thank you for listening. Ordinary Voices is a place for people searching for spiritual meaning in daily life. We are invited into the lives of ordinary people with the thought we might find some of our own struggles in these stories, then in a reflection upon them, might find hope in life. If you like what you hear, please share it with a friend. Everything we're doing with this podcast and the daily devotions depends upon your sharing it with someone else. People are hungry for spiritual conversations and in deep need of hope. So go to the website, OrdinaryVoices.org, OrdinaryVoices.org, to find other shows and to sign in for the daily devotions. The podcast is also available on every form of podcast provider you can think of, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud. This is a listener-supported show, so please consider financially supporting it by clicking the Donate button on the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. Thank you again for listening. Now let's rejoin Amy and Joel as they describe the impact of this terrible day. But at some point,
0: Amy basically communicated to me in not so many words, I'm done making decisions. I'm done making, I need to be here. And And I think it was... So call mom and dad, figure out what's going on, answer these questions.
1: But it was a lot of nonverbal and we cried together. And I, I don't know that I said much i don't think i could get any words out of my mouth like i was not there at all i thought i need people and angie's very um she's a list person she's a planner and so for me and she's a dear friend and so she was one in my head that i needed to have near me and matt was perfect because he's joyful but he's also an advocate he he advocates for patience. So mm-hmm. it all became like mm-hmm. Charlie Brown teacher. Wah, 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 wah. Like, mm-hmm. and just tell me how Isaac is. I don't know what else you're saying. Mm-hmm. So bo- having both Angie and Matt there to interpret. And then Dave, Pastor Dave is such a calm presence. But he was in the middle of it as well because it was his house and he was the first to... Mm-hmm. Should we get ice packs? How about towels? How about a glass of water? How about...
0: My brother, my brother's wife is her, is Amy's college roommate.
1: And Isaac's godmother that she, yeah. and she's very serious about that. Hmm. So she needed, she needed to be there too.
2: Mm-hmm. People and prayer, probably the two most important things. doing sure.
0: in that? Yeah.
1: For sure, yep.
0: I got a text from my brother who said, you don't have to be in charge of this. Hmm. you don't have to take care of amy's parents you don't have to you're not in. he didn't say you're not in charge but he said you don't have to be the host you know Mm -hmm. he knows what we do as camp directors Mm -hmm. you don't have to be the one who's running this you just need to be there did you hear him did I hear him say that? No, um, did I mean, you? Did it, did I know you received the information. Did I understand did it? Did you hear the
2: information? Did you hear um, I
0: heard it. Um, I had trouble accepting it. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Paralyzed by anxiety and powerlessness, they turn to family and friends who provide wonderful support. But now I ask them, what were the first signs of hope?
1: surgery being done so quick I thought it was going to be three or four hours but it was two hours not much more than two hours and by that time our team had assembled and the waiting room was pretty full
0: and I think the two two signs of hope for me were one when they mentioned staples because that told me they weren't leaving any skull open that they had finished they'd finished the surgery that was a big thing for me Mm -hmm. And then later, as he started recovering and coming out of surgery, um, the first question they asked him uh, was, do you know where you are? And his response was very clear.
1: I don't think his eyes were open. His yet.
0: eyes weren't open, but he was, he, was, he was answering the question. He said, I'm in the left corner. Because during that last six hours, I had gone from that's one heck of a goose egg to them reassembling my son's head to wondering if we were ever if we were gonna to have to build a ramp into our house and when he said that the first thing I thought of was he can speak first thing of all the things that we need to check in the next two days he can speak it wasn't slurred it wasn't he was clear even though he,
1: it didn't make any sense, it didn't guys, make any sense but,
0: <laughs> but it was English it wasn't slurred mm-hmm. it was clear it was I'm in the left corner When we left the hospital, the only neurological issues was that he was a little, had a little bit of double vision, and they thought, they were pretty sure that that was because of the swelling in his eye and the muscles. He was also a little unbalanced when they would, he failed a couple uh, physical tests, occupational therapy tests, but he passed enough to be able to be sent home. He's on a real restricted activity schedule. Yeah. No gym, no rut, no recess, no. He's got to keep his feet on the ground. No slides, no swings, no no bikes, no things like that. um Basically, he can run through a field if no one will hit him or he won't run into anything. Hmm. Can't throw things, no balls, that kind of stuff.
1: A field of marshmallows
0: until until
2: November 22nd. Good. <laughs> Pillows. Can you throw, can you throw marshmallows?
1: no he can run through a field of marshmallows or pillows
0: so until November 22nd so he's a he can't be a six year old boy until Thanksgiving how's that going not well
2: (laughs) yeah
0: no we but oddly enough he can sit on the bench
2: (laughs) (laughs) he's good at that (laughs) Isaac joins the SAS Club, a club as important to the trauma unit as it is to Amy and Joel.
0: Dr. Megan is awesome, and she said, should we tell them about the SASs? And one of the other trauma teams like, oh, this is a good SAS. I'm like, well, it's an SAS. And they,
1: and they review after... Their case is done from the ICU. They review each case and go through what they learned, what went wrong, what went great,
0: what. And they always s- seem to focus on.
1: What went wrong? The negative and what
0: went wrong in the most horrible scenario. As they were, as they did this uh, a few years ago or whatever, this team, someone on the team said, "Can we just, for once, focus on some of the positive cases, some of the sweet ass saves, some of the SASs. And so they they said they they. Intentionally, as a group, um, make sure that they that they lift that up. That there are there are stories that work out well in okay. what we do, and we can't forget those. And so, so they started referring to Isaac as one of their SASs. Oh. So, because he was jumping through every hoop they put in front of him.
2: As Isaac gains strength in recovery, Joel, Amy, and Ella start discovering a world beyond their own curtain. They discover they are not the only ones in pain. I just think about those people in that in that unit that are dealing with that every day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that was that was a huge thing for me because you, I was so self focused going in
0: behind our curtain That's yeah we're we have.
1: were in the ICU so you're isolated and you don't see I mean you hear things going on and crying and um chatting among the medical staff but you're so focused on yourself or Isaac and um once we got out onto the general floor and we able to kind of leave our spot and we were on the main hallway and you know they'd been there for a long time.
0: You know, during that week, we had you were know, walking by with infants, you know, less than a couple months old, getting their legs set, you know, broken legs, and and each one there was one where it was a teenage kid, and there were armed police standing out in front of the curtain, and you know, you just the stories that every single curtain has and is dealing with, and these trauma people are professional. They're going through their checklists. They're, you know, they're not getting all excited. They're, they're doing what they need to do. And this kid, um, was, uh, his mom was pulling the wagon and this is a wagon designed for the, for the unit.
1: It looked like a big plastic red flyer.
0: Little Mm tights wagon, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and grandma was walking behind and the kid was bandaged head to toe. Um, I mean, his uh, his, his head was, you know, exposed, but it pretty much bandaged, uh, um, the rest of his body and Ella kind of smiled and, you know, at that point it's Ella kind of got a little, un- uh, understood that we, you know, staring at a, staring at someone is, it's hard not to, um, but Ella got to the point where I think she felt a little more comfortable in realizing, um. You know, a smile and a wave is really good, too, and she was pretty good at that. And the grandma, the mom was obviously in shock, and the grandma just said, this is what a pot of boiling oil can do to a 10-year-old. Or not 10-year-old. He must have been probably five or six. Mm. But, and you just, so much is summed up in that one sentence, in that one scene. Not only what that family's going through, but what the trauma team is going through. Specifically, like Amy mentioned, we've had such a sport network. You start to ask yourself the question, do they have that? That family mm-hmm. that was pulling the wagon. And and we can't be all things to all people. Um, but how, you know that that's you start to ache for you know how can we how can we live better? Um, urgency over whether my guitar is tuned. Mm-hmm. It was put into perspective, of course, but urgency over whether or not um, we have everything we want versus do, do they have what they need, um, even that trauma team. And it was re- very interesting that sometime during this time we were in ICU, we realized, and there was a Sunday, you know, we were there from Wednesday to Monday, um, that our doctor, Dr. Megan, has been visiting this church as shopping around for congregations Hmm. and was at this church that Sunday that we were in the hospital I went from do your job sign. I'll sign whatever you want go do your job to realizing that um, that neurosurgeon went home and said holy crap let me tell you what I just went through Mm -hmm. and does that neurosurgeon have people that will drop everything and come and say let's talk Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Yeah, the family with the the kid with the oil burns. The you know the the janitor that's cleaning up that floor on a daily basis, and people delivering food to kids who are just screaming.
2: Mm-hmm. What you learn about yourselves as parents, as people. What'd you learn about your children? And not just Isaac. Hmm. And what'd you learn about Ella during that whole thing?
1: Isaac, one, is that he he was always there. He was never, he never lashed out. He never, like his spirit is something, um, hmm. something special. And he's been pretty even keel the whole time. Ella did not like being away from the hospital, especially, So friends would take her to a birthday party or whatever and she would be antsy and a little agitated and as soon as they said, are you ready to go? Yes, and be out the door, which is opposite of Ella. Mm -hmm. So Ella is 10 and you know she's at that age and she is self-focused and wants her room. She has her own style and she has her own activities and she has her own friends. I saw her shift from... It's all about me. Stage two. We're a unit. We're together, and I don't want to be away from him because that'll shake,
0: no.
1: shake the world. And
0: Ella was confident in helping us find those keys and all that kind of stuff, but also knew exactly when she needed to just get away and go watch a show on the in the break room, mm-hmm. in the family room. And she would she would make that decision and it was clear. Mm-hmm. And it was, I've done my part, I need a break. And if and if Ella if Amy and I spent a little bit more time during the last month and a half saying, Okay, it's time for my break now. Um, I think we would be a little less red-eyed than we are
2: right now <laughs> because I,
0: I think t- shifting to us you know one Ella t- taught me has been teaching me boundaries um, that you can take care of yourself their plan was that you know we needed to be watching him 24-7 um, well you'll watch him here we'll alternate nights in his room when you're on I'm off and I'm on you're off and in reality both of us were on until he collapsed until he went to sleep, and then we collapsed, and then when he woke up, we were awake and and that's not that's not boundaries that's not taking care of yourself so you can take care of somebody else mm-hmm. and I would say if if I was going to talk to you know if someone else was going through this or I would say uh, make sure that one you're paying attention to that and and really make sure that the other one is paying attention to themselves at least part of that time. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is, make sure that you have your good friends on the speed dial.
2: Listening to Amy and Joel, I found myself drawn to Henry Nowen, a Catholic priest, theologian, and writer. In his book, Our Greatest Gift, Nowen wrote, We are not alone. Beyond the differences that separate us, we share one common humanity and thus belong to each other. The mystery of life is that we discover this human togetherness, not when we are powerful and strong, but when we are vulnerable and weak. Amy and Joel's story reflect Nowen's observation. Let's continue to listen.
1: Our first care package was there almost by the time we got to ICU. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Like after the surgery, there's a basket, and I don't know, Jen. Um, I wouldn't be able to pick her out. But she had gotten a call from Rosie. Like there, there is already calls out and packages being delivered, and and those. But we never had to eat in the cafeteria. We never had, you know. And it seems little. But it was some of
0: our relatives did, but that's, <laughs> that was their choice. <laughs> the gluten-free vegetarian pizza wasn't. <laughs> we have some relatives that are less granola-y than some of our friends, <clears throat> which is just fine. <laughs>
1: um. So yeah, we didn't, and it's one thing less that we had to decide, and it was right. so super helpful and allowing. Hawken and Annika to read to Isaac and me leaving the hospital. Not just Isaac's room, but Jen took me on a walk
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and letting that trust go. And it was huge. It was huge to get out and have sunshine and breathe fresh air. And it doesn't seem like a big thing, maybe, but it was huge.
0: Tying in both taking care of yourself, but establishing and having that network. You know, who has a network and how can Mm -hmm. you help? My advice to anyone, whether you're married or not, uh, whether you have kids or not, um, and my advice is that if you're questioning whether or not you should sign up for the book club, do it. If you're questioning whether or not you have time uh, to, to work in a bowling league, do it. If you're wondering if you should go over across the street and help that neighbor um, fix that deck board, do it. Um, For two reasons. One, um, you need to have that kind of stuff in your life to just not be working and not be cleaning and not be running with the sense of urgency to your next meeting. And you need to have that me time to, to do that. But the people that you're doing that, that you're with, are the people that showed up at the hospital. And um, and I think, and, I, and now I'm the preacher. Maybe <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's what church is, and that's what um, you, you know. We can we can read scripture, we can um, uh, be sacramental, we can do all of that stuff. But if we aren't doing it with each other, I think we're doing it, we're shortchanging what that's all meant to be, mm-hmm. and that's a big thing. You know, I, it's a simple book club. But half of our meals came from that book club. Right.
2: Joel hits on something very profound here in his closing thoughts. We can pray, we can read scripture, we can have perfect worship attendance and speak of God in the most appropriate and loving ways. But if we don't have community, this interaction between friends and strangers... What does it all mean? If we cannot experience God in the everyday fabric of life, then something about God remains hollow and empty. This is what the culture outside of the church is trying to communicate to those on the inside. It may be something you are feeling yourself. If you go back and listen to our conversation, you will hear these thoughts living and breathing through everything Amy and Joel said. It was a comfort to see Ben with the ambulance. Amy and Joel needed people. They needed them to pray, laugh, manage, and eat. They needed Dr. Megan, the trauma team, the janitors, the book club, the former staff, the college roommate, the parent, the godparent, the brother. All of these relationships are bound by one common element. Love. It drew my mind to the simplicity of 1 John 4, 16. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God and God abides in them. Too often, people restrict Jesus to words, to a building, to a worship style, to a special community who claims ownership. It's almost like Jesus becomes a kind of holy mascot. You don't need to be parents of a six-year-old child to encounter the life-changing trauma that Joel and Amy experienced. We can prepare, we can analyze risk, we can make solid judgments, but in the blink of an eye, all of that can change. The question remains... Will you have friends to walk this emotionally difficult journey with you? Love pulls us out of isolation. It puts us in the presence of God even when we don't realize it is happening. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. May you abide in love. That's our show. I want to thank Amy, Joel, Ella, and Isaac for sharing and thank you for listening. I also want to give thanks for Isaac's health and ask you to join me in praying for Isaac to find the patience to remain calm until November 22nd when he gets to return to a normal six-year-old child or as normal as any child of Joel can be. Pray for Ella to find peace with her brother on the men, And pray for Amy and Joel to find continued joy in their life together. Please help me invite more people into this conversation by sharing the show, sharing the daily devotions. Check out the website, OrdinaryVoices.org. Sign up for the Devos and consider donating to this listener-supported show at OrdinaryVoices.org. On behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thanks again for listening.